What's up, guys? You're listening to the MF CEO Project. I am most emphatically not the MF CEO. This is Vaughn Kohler, as Andy likes to say. Vaughn the Impaler, the pastor of disaster. Thanks for listening to the MF CEO Project. I have bad news and good news. The bad news is that Andy is a little under the weather, so we are going to have to carry on without him. That's the bad news. So think about Andy. Throw up a prayer for him. I'm sure he will feel better soon. That's the bad news. The good news is that... But, that, but that's because, Vaughn, he's sick as fuck. Is that what it, I he's said? sick I, as fuck. I said under the weather. I'm going to say fuck more often today. This is Ben Newman, by the way. everybody tells me I don't say fuck enough. So yeah, this is Ben Newman here, and he's sick as fuck. We need to be clear on that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So, so and I was getting to the good news, which is that Ben is here, which means that the fire is here. But in addition to fire, we have fists. F-I-S-T-S. Fists. Or fist bumps, uppercuts, jabs, you name it. We have all of that because of our special guest today. Would you like to introduce him? I would love to. So we have a uh, fellow brother of mine in the studio, Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley, the next welterweight champion of the world in the UFC. So welcome uh, to the MFCEO Project Podcast, Tyron. Boom, boom. Glad to be on. Fan of the show. And um, you can drop the F-bombs for me as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I will say my own hails because I love to wear hail for some reason. Yeah, well, we, uh, you've, you've gone way back with Tyron, I guess. Uh, well, you didn't grow up with him, but you've, you've known him for – you guys have had at least a professional – We nursed together. You yeah, nursed we, together. We did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we nursed on the boobs together. <laughs> I don't know who's going to do it, whether you're going to give us a little background on Tyron or whether Tyron's just going to share his, his story and we're just going to jump right into it, but – uh, how do you think the best way to proceed would be? I'll mention something briefly, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Tyron. You know, there are individuals that you meet in life, and, you know, we all have relationships like this where you meet somebody, and it's like an instant bond, like you have known somebody, you know, since we were nursing together, which is not the case. <laughs> and, you know, that's really what happened with Tyron and I. It was actually uh, Tyron's manager had reached out to me, and he said, hey, let's, let's get you and, and Tyron together. And I said, absolutely. I mean, I was a fan of Tyron's, and I said, this will be fantastic. Both St. Louisans, and many people had said that we should meet each other, kind of like Andy's in my relationship when you introduced us. And Tyron and I, I went over, I met him at his gym, uh, ATT Evolution. He'll talk a little bit more about his business. It's amazing. He's not just a great fighter. He's a great businessman. And we just absolutely hit it off. I mean, family, passions for life, process, work ethic, getting after it, giving it your best, and and for me, I can speak for myself, it's been like a fast brotherhood and really a blessing uh, to have Tyron now in my life as a, as a friend. And I'm excited for everybody to get the opportunity to hear who he is and how he approaches life and how that's, that can impact you and the fire that you bring to your life. So Tyron, I think what would, would really be fun for everybody is a little bit of background you know, where you came from, which is an interesting place in American headlines today, yeah. and some of your beliefs in, in how you've grown into what you're doing today. Well, I appreciate the intro, number one. Um, kind words by my man, Ben Newman. Um, I'm just a, you know, a young kid from Ferguson, Missouri. Grew up walking up and down the streets. We didn't have the video games and the cell phones like the kids of today. So what we did, we played football, contact, notepads, sprinted on the street, chased each other, played um, wrestling, 
you know, we pretty much weren't allowed back in the house until the lights came on. So um, I just grew up in a, a rough environment, you know. I was exposed to a lot of, you know, gang um, affiliation and things of that nature. So those things just kind of built me in a different way. So when I compete, those of you that see me in Octagon and, and know me as a chosen one, um, fighting really doesn't scare me. You know, I've been fighting my whole life. You know, I fought for fun. I fought because I had to, and now I fight for funds. So um, in, in general, you know, I've just been a driven kid that um, from a dysfunctional home. You know, father wasn't involved, but I never use it as an excuse. Sometimes our youth um, gets to use it as an excuse. My dad wasn't here. Um, I live in the ghetto, and, you know, I'm never going to be successful. You know, I, I tend to challenge the odds. I tend to ta- challenge the stereotype and what people think you will become and what they think you should become. And um, my whole life has been basically whatever you say I can do, I kind of end up doing. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Um, went to University of Missouri from St. Louis, went to McClure. Then I transitioned into MMA. I was also a wrestling coach at Mizzou and SIUE before. So I'm homegrown, man. I've been here um, since been pimping, since been pimping, <laughs> since been pimping. So I've been there for a while. Now, now you did you didn't just wrestle at Mizzou, weren't you the first All American in out of the University of Missouri? I was the first Big Twelve champion. Uh, first Big Twelve champion. University of Missouri used to be the floor mat of the Big Twelve. They were the mockery. They were the joke. They were the easy match if you were assigned to wrestle someone from the University of Missouri. So basically, the way they're in basketball now. Right. Oh, hold on, bro. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> let, let, the ti- let the Tigers go. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're doing that hot basketball to answer your question. But um, I was committed to University of Nebraska. They had a thriving wrestling program, a ridiculous tradition. Plus, my favorite colors was red. Mm-hmm. My recruiting trip was tight. All these women was all over me. So I was like, I'm committed. <laughs> I didn't go to any other recruiting trip. You know, I was a Husker. And then um, something happened with the coaching staff. Um, the head coach was forced to resign for illegal recruiting. Um, I think he was helping kids pay off some gambling debts and doing mm-hmm. some things illegal. So I was kind of left in the gray on where I wanted to go to college. Then I, you know, went to University of Missouri. I didn't want to go to the recruiting trip. I was dreading it because they were so damn horrible. And I went there and I saw my teammate Justin Spates and I saw uh, my teammate Ryan Bader, my future teammate at the time. They were doing sprints in the indoor turf. They was wrestling in the offseason. I'm like, what are these dudes doing? The season over with. And I saw something in them, and I saw something in the future that I can either go to a program that has a rich tradition already, or I can come here and I can make the tradition. I can be the guy that give University of Missouri a chance. I can go there and I can make the difference. My mom told me, she said, you should go there and make the difference. I'm like, you go there. I'm not going to Mizzou, <laughs> you know. So I went there. I prayed about it. My gut told me to go. And um, I can honestly say University of Missouri has been in the top ten every year since there. For, you know, since I got there in 2000, 15 years strong. They finished um, third twice in NCAAs. This year they was ranked number one. It was undefeated going into the NCAA dual me wise. So the tradition, I can honestly look back and say, I was one of those guys that was a building block in what they have now. So that mindset, we call it Tiger style. I transitioned that into MMA. I transitioned that into into life, into business. My gym, ATT Evolution in Brentwood. You know, so everything I do, you know, um, I really use that same mindset. You know, mm-hmm. just get it done. You know. Don't don't let it hang over your head, you know. Don't complain about it. Just do it, and um, that's been my success story. 
Well, obviously your story is one of determination. It's one of overcoming. It's one where you've defeated a lot of opponents in your life, both in the in the octagon, on the octagon, however you say that, uh, in the ring, but also, you know, different things that you faced in life. And I, I know, you know, for the purpose of the, this podcast, we always want to give people fire for how to how to kill it in their lives. And so I'd love to have a discussion just about, you know, Ben, as you've worked with with uh, um, Tyron and, and, and Tyron, as you've kind of pursued your dreams of doing what you do, you know, what are the principles that that uh, that guided you? How did you how did you get to the where you are mentally, you know, physically? What are the what are the key key uh, key ways that you've done that? Uh, but before you do that, I have to ask because I saw this on your bio. You were an ag econ major. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Ag econ major. How, how did you decide to do that? And, um, um, business marketing. So I started off in engineering, and uh, my first year in engineering school at Mizzou, um, I was pumped up to be this big computer engineer that was making, at the time, sixty grand was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So they were like, they're making sixty grand. I'm going into this field. I was on the dean's list. I thought I was some big high shot. Then I started competing, and I started, you know, I started as a freshman in college, and then we started traveling, and we started having to watch film, and we started to have to do these individual workouts. And pretty much my timetable to academically, you know, strive and athletically strive started to, you know, compete against each other, and then my grades started to drop. And I had one horrible semester, you know, I freaking was on academic probation. So I switched to the business school, um, I switched to the business school because I didn't have to have almost a damn 4.0 to get into it. Mm-hmm. And when it was time for me to apply to the upper level um, part of the course, I was one point underneath where I needed to be. I needed to have a 3.4. I think I had like a 3.2 or 3.3 um, 3 GPA. So I went to the ag school to raise my GPA up for the business school. And I got over there and I loved it. I love how personal it was. I love that we actually took real dollars out of our pocket. We played the futures market. We did cattle. We did everything. And I said, you know what? If I'm a city boy or, you know, North County boy and I can learn how, you know, how to think ahead and project, you know, I can sell anything. You know, the business school kind of taught us to be in a classroom of 400 people, midterm, final. But this one was really hands-on. The teachers really took extra time and effort. And, you know, once I raised my GPA, I said, you know, I'm staying over here. I loved it. I enjoyed it. So you planned to go to Nebraska. Yeah. You ended up going to Mizzou. Yep. And that, like, you embraced that. You changed the way you thought of that. And then you planned to be an engineer. It ended up being an ag econ, or econ guy. Mm-hmm. But you totally changed your thinking on that. Ben, that sounds an awful lot like reframing. Oh, absolutely. I I think, you know, one thing, if you look at, you know, Tyron's upbringing, which he alluded to, I'm sure he'll talk more about, it is focusing on solutions throughout his life. And one thing I'd love for the listeners to pay attention to, the most successful individuals I've had the opportunity to work with, they have great capacity and they challenge that capacity. And that's what I believe Tyron has done. I mean, it's it blew me away. The first time we ever shared the stage to speak was in Las Vegas for Mass Mutual. And I got done. I warmed up the stage for Tyron. And then all of a sudden, I mean, he pops up. And I mean, he was dropping knowledge from books about investments and insurance. You would have thought that he was the (laughs) one who spent the amount of time that I spent in the insurance and investment business. The managing partner 
of that financial group came up to me and he's just like, that just blew me away. That was absolutely unbelievable. And I think that's what makes Tyron so unique. It's the way that he has challenged himself to be the best businessman I can be, but to also go kick the shit out of somebody in the octagon. Yeah. And it, it's really an incredible thing, but you did allude to it. It's reframing, focusing on solutions. That's what he's always done. Right. Right. So right. I think for everybody, as you hear Tyron's story, pay attention, challenge your capacity. I've always believed that everybody can dig deeper with the talents that they have. And you're going to hear with every answer that he has, it's challenging capacity and giving it your best. Where, so where did that start, Tyron? Where did it start where you basically took adversity and you just reframed it into something to, to learn from and to grow from? You know, when I was younger, you know, I used to get suspended every week. I spent average of four, three to four days, um, th three or four days, excuse me, at school per week. Wow. We went from one day to two day to three day to five days and then school suspension to 10 days suspended. I was I was basically recommended to be suspended for 90 days three times. The third time I got it, and I missed my entire freshman year. I missed the homecoming. You know, I thought I was some ladies' man, so I had all these fresh clothes. I missed the ladies, missed all the, you know. You know, the first day of school in high school is a big deal. Mm -hmm. I missed the first three months. So I was at this academic support center. And I was just looking around. I'm like, fuck, man, I'm going to end up being like everybody in here. We're not going anywhere. And um, that was my last fight. That was my last fight. And I used to maybe get in a fight weekly. You know, mm. my sisters, they always try to fight me, neighborhood fights, gang fights. So, um, and I wasn't even a fighter of my family. My family is like, in the past, was notorious for fighting. My mm -hmm. sisters, like, you know, Julia, if you, if you knew her <laughs> in the past... Like, and it's funny that I'm the fighter, even though I fought a lot. But my family, you know, we, we've been fighting for everything for, for a while. So to answer your question, you know, it was a little game that I thought I was a part of. A week after I got suspended for 90 days, those guys came to the same academic center because they got into a fight at McClure High School. And I'm like, you know what, I would have been here anyway because if I was in school, I would have been in that fight with these guys, mm -hmm. and then I would have still been here. And I just, I just looked at the path, and I was like, you know what? I'm changing my life. And um, I don't know how I did it. Um, I do know why I did it. But I just really hit a 360. You know, I went from a kid that was, you know, the teacher would already have my name disrupting class. All they would do was date the referral, give it to me, and send me to the office. You know, and if they uh -huh. gave me the whole referral, I definitely wasn't taking it. I was going to the bathroom and just chilling out. <laughs> so, you know, I had this down to a system. I would... You know, finagle the the principal and like, oh, she's just picking on me, and you know, you know, playing a race car, whatever I need to do not to get in trouble. I had my mom thinking I was this saint, and, you know, and, and she was like, my baby would never do this. Right. And I was like, yeah, they picking on me, but then I started accepting personal responsibility. I started to take my life into my own hands, and I told my mom, I said, you know what, I'm gonna be in the NFL. You know, I'm not gonna get in trouble anymore. And from that point on, I had. 3.8 GPA or higher, zero referrals. I never had any behavior issues in high school whatsoever. I was on every national honor society. I was in ROTC. I broke every record Fort Linwood had in ROTC. Like, I just shattered everything they had. I was just mentally driven to get out of my situation. And, um, you know, that drive just couldn't – it's something that always triggered. Like, I took second in state my junior year, and I lost in the last second. I was so pissed. So I spent that whole summer training, had a 72 cut list that was 
the longest car on earth, <laughs> but I traveled that baby everywhere. I was in three different, you know, club teams. I traveled the country. I raised money. I worked. I had no spring breaks. The next year, I went undefeated, 48-0, the largest win streak in the history of Missouri at that time. Gave up zero offensive points. And then every year, something else. You know, I didn't win the NCAA title in, in Mizzou. I was the best best wrestler in the, um, in the country at that point. And I, you know, didn't have a good tournament. But then they got me into MMA. And now I'm still driven because I've yet to be the best in the world in something. And I'm so damn close right now that, you know, I want to cap off my athletic career with being the best in the world. You just said something that hit me hard, and I hope the listeners were hit hard by it too. You said, I don't know how I did it, but I know why I did it. And it seems to me that what made the difference between everybody else who might have been in that student detention center and you is that you discovered a purpose. You, yeah. you, you didn't want to be like everybody else. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, you know, those guys, you know, some of those guys are in jail. Some of them are dead. Some of them I know personally have, have murdered people. And, um, you know, I can't even hang around them because I just, I just know what type of lifestyle they're in. And I can't facilitate that type of company because of my family. But I really just, I kind of knew better. And I was mm-hmm. doing things not because my dad was gone, not because, you know, I was just doing it because it was fun. I like being a class clown. You know, I like the attention that I was getting. So I was very conscious of my decisions. So then I just consciously chose to stop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Everybody, all oh, they, they expected me to be a bad kid. They already had me, you know, flagged. They would tell all the teachers I had them in third grade, be looking out for him. I remember uh, my dad was a, a pastor, and um, I dressed for career day as a pastor. And I remember my third grade teacher laughing at me, like, whoo She was like, if you want to be a pastor, you got a whole lot of work to do, <laughs> like on career day. And I just remember that, and, you know, um, I, I think I just want to prove everybody wrong. You yeah. know, they they all had they all had me. Um, they already had my future destined what I was going to be and what I was going to end up. And you know, um, I just completely shattered everything that they said. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So so did your? I mean, hopefully it's okay to ask. Did your oh, yeah. father just died early and early. No, in life? he didn't die. I mean, at one point he died to me as a human. Yeah. Because I just didn't. Um, I didn't have emotions towards him. I didn't love mm-hmm. him. I didn't hate him. Mm-hmm. Um, I would see him, I mean, he only lived five minutes away. I would see him at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. i hey, what's up, man? It was like a random stranger that mm-hmm. I just happened to know. And it never emotionally hurt me. It never made me want to be, you know, um, sad. It never made me cry. It mm-hmm. never made me act out in bad behavior. Like I said, I was conscious of all my stuff, and nothing had to do with my dad not being there. So I was one of the few kids that were probably blessed that wasn't affected in a negative way. It actually made me want to go harder. It made me cling to my coaches more, which means I was a way more coachable athlete. And the, raise I, the way I raise my three sons now, you know, I'm probably the overly over-the-top dad just because, you know, I remember when my dad used to walk through the door and he was freaking too tired. Get away from me. I'm tired. I've been at work all day. I just want to watch TV. And I never do that to my kids. I don't give a mm-hmm. hell if I just got knocked out in the gym. If I ran eight miles, how tired I am, I'll sit in my car for 20 minutes if it takes to get my damn self together. So when I come in, I'm smiling, I got energy, mm-hmm. and they get that warm embrace that I never got. So if anything, it made me a way better parent. And, um, you know, I, I just didn't want to do that, you know? Yeah, there's that reframing again. That's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, so but it's all, reframing. I, mean, I got to check this out because I'm doing something <laughs> I'm, I'm not even knowledgeable that I'm doing. Reframing. Well, I mean, I, you know, again, I, 
break it down for treat, me. Treating, treating our listeners like they're idiots. We've talked about this before. But Ben, state your principle of reframing again. Yeah, so I mean, reframing right out of the mental toughness playbook, you know, it's our ability to focus on solutions rather than problems. And the most successful individuals, that's what they do. It doesn't mean that we live in la-la land and we don't experience adversity. It just means when you face adversity, you have the ability to focus on the solution rather than the problem. So naturally, from your story, some of the things you're sharing, that has happened. You know, let's say there's somebody who's running a business who's in sales, who's listening right now. You know, the way reframing would work is you get a phone call. You thought you'd made an unbelievable sale. You're just waiting on the purchase order to come in, and it's going to be this great opportunity. You're generating revenue for your business. And then you get a phone call that says, hey, we've decided to go another direction. Well, we all have a choice at that period in time for growing a business. I can go and I can complain to my friend Tyron and say, man, you won't believe what happened to me. And then I go tell Vaughn and then I go tell Tyler. Or you can immediately say, can I pick up the phone and call another open opportunity? Can I pick up the phone and take an action step that's a positive action step that will keep me moving the ball down the field? That's what the most successful people do. Hmm. So even when you face adversity, you reframe it. You know, one of the things after our experience down at the fights this last weekend you know, I wrote a piece that everybody can check out on Instagram and on Facebook about Tyron and how I believed that he reframed. And it was a powerful example for all of us that, you know, here you show up to this fight. It's the biggest fight of your life. It, it's the fight against Johnny Hendricks that after winning that fight, you get your title shot. And you already heard Tyron say it. You know, it's the opportunity to be the best in the world. This is for his title shot. And he shows up and his opponent had an inability to make weight. Which in the UFC, that means the fight's canceled. So at that point in time, what are the challenges that Tyron is facing? Well, potentially the purse, the money, that could be at risk. You don't know if you're going to get a title shot. You know, do you just go home and leave? You've got fa It's the uncertainty of how do I respond? Well, what blew me away is when we talked the day before I was getting ready to take a red eye from Vancouver to go see him was he was so positive. You know, in the media, did he bash Johnny Hendricks? No, he didn't bash Johnny Hendricks. Was he complaining about money? No, he wasn't complaining about money. What did he do? He still went out and did what he said he was going to do. This is a powerful example of reframing. He went and he cut weight. Even though his opponent had the inability to cut weight, he went and cut weight, got down to 170 pounds. You guys go check out the, uh, go check out the picture. He was a chiseled machine who was prepared to go to war. He handled what he said he was going to do. And that's what I think reframing is all about. That's what it means to be a champion. So reframing, capacity. I mean, for me, I learned so much. I mean, I already believed so much in Tyron. Love his heart. Love how close we become as friends. But I got to tell you, that day, the way he handled that situation, that's an international stage, which just, just blew me away. The, that is the, the level of, of, of professionalism blew me away. I think another thing that really blows me away about your story, Tyron, is the the way that you react to adversity is not just not just reframing it like Ben was talking about, but so many people when adversity happens to them, they get passive, okay? And and yet when adversity happened to you, you were proactive. Like you you came up with a plan to attack it and to overcome it. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like how did you over time, like from the time you were in in um in high school and then and then in yeah you know, Mizzou and then beyond that, what was the you know Ben's always saying attack the process. What was the process? You know we have another podcast that we allude to a lot, which is called uh, Kill It Every Day, and it's the whole idea of being effective and and you know dominating every aspect of your life. So for you, 
what has that process been? What are the daily habits, as, as Ben would say, what are the daily habits that have dri- driven your success? I mean, I think I am adversity, you know. Uh, I'm so used to adversity. It's always been everly prevalent in my life. Um, I look forward to it because it's all I know. I don't know the easy way. I've never been given anything. You know, I should have fought for a world title. I've beaten six, arguably seven top ten welterweights in the world in my career. And you got guys like um, blah blah blah, which I ain't gonna give him any extra credit because he, he got <laughs> enough people on this on this on this on this um, briefcase right now. Um, he had one top ten victory fighting for a world title because mm-hmm. of his mouthpiece and ability to sell fights. Um, I'm used to earning it. I'm used to overly earning it. And I think that if anything is given to me easily, it feels like something's weird about it. You know what I mean? It might, you know, it's just good for me to eat. You know, you're giving it to me really easily. So I'm just so used to doing that that um, it's always a lesson, whether it's focus, fighting temptation, distraction, you know, um, heart, endurance. It's always a lesson in every training camp, and it's never really to fight. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, she she does something called a first fight project and just talking about your first fight and after that we continue to talk about fighting you know I was nervous that I wasn't nervous hmm. nothing about Johnny Hendricks made me nervous you hmm. know what I mean um, nothing about the fight made me nervous now this is the most dangerous fighter in my division in the world as far as power wrestling ability um, competitive edge and just he's been there before he's already been the champion at one point and arguably you know, he would argue that every fight in his three losses were split decision losses that one judge thought he won. You know, he was one round away from being undefeated in each fight. So the only thing that made me fearful in most fights is me not competing to my level, hmm. me holding back, me not letting go. And people have the cliche statements that my my hardest opponent is myself. You know, I do believe that. And it's a saying that says, I'm my hardest opponent well, I am my problem but I'm also my solution I chose to be my own solution that hey the same mindset that I'm you know having these superstitions when I fought this guy at this time in this city or last time my kids came to my fight this was a result I can also bash those superstitions and I can bash those thoughts that come into my mind that you won't do it and you can't make it because um, people don't understand that it's a fear and actually knowing that you can be successful when you realize you know, like Bruce Leroy, when he realized he had the glow, you know, or when you realize that you you the master and you got the power, sometimes you scared that, you know what, fuck, I can actually pull this off. Hmm. I can actually be the best in the world. And sometimes people and individuals in life, they're so much more comfortable hanging out and blending in the choir than the stepping out and doing the solo. Because hmm. you know what? At some point, they realize that, you know, I might be able to do this. I might be able to pull this out. I might be able to be the CEO of this company. or I might be able to be, you know, the person that get drafted to the MLB or whatever. And and some people are scared to take that step. You know, I just chose not to be scared, you know, and, and, and embrace it. And I am the best in the world. And I believe it. And I think my peers believe it. And now that they know that I believe it, you know, to, everybody's like, Johnny Hendricks was scared. I'm like, oh, he's not scared. He's a fighter. You know, I start thinking about it. I think he believes, he might not be scared, but I do think he believes it's something special about me. It's something, it's a reason why I act so hard to fight him, and he believes it's my time, and it is. So I've got a a question for you. It's really a follow-up to everything you just said. You know, because so many individuals, they have those conversations with themselves. They have that fear. The fear speaks to them. It's a little voice on their shoulder. 
And it sounds to me like you have, and I want to hear a little bit more of what goes on in your mind to help everybody listening. You take action when you face fear. What causes you to do that? So you hear that little voice, little voice tells you, you know, those goals are too big. Those dreams are too big. What is it that has caused you to take action in the past when you feel that fear? You know, this is a gift and a curse for me. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Um, it's good because when I get fear, this guy's a great striker. Every time I watch film on my next opponent, um, these guys are the best athletes in the world, most of which I'm a fan of. And I've been watching for a very long time. So when I'm watching the film, I'm actually sometimes watching the scout. Then I end up stealing some of that technique. Then I end up being amazed by what they're doing. This guy might punch hard. This guy might have extreme endurance. So I've been I've been watching film and I saw all different angles of this. You know, this guy you can punch him a million times and he will not get knocked out. And um, you know, all those things put some type of anxiety. But I watched the film. I talked to my coaches. We put together a game plan. Um, my, my, my head coach, Dean Thomas, has a um, system called MMA Scouting Report. So you can go to MMAScoutingReport.com. This is how we break guys down to a molecule. I'm talking about eight to nine page detail account. I mean, detailed um, pages on my opponent. Then I go and train for four weeks. Then I go back and I watch the same film again. And I feel a little bit more comfortable about it. My stomach doesn't bubble as much. You know, I don't start getting anxiety and sweating. And then I train for two, three more weeks. And I go back and watch the film, and I'm like, I'm going to own this guy. I'm going to break him. You know, I'm going I'm to freaking give him the fight that he's never had before. And I just gain confidence in preparation. You know, my only fear is being in a fight and so tired and fatigued that I can't defend myself. So what I do? At times, I was overtraining. I was overly doing it, overly doing the anaerobic and aerobic exercises and putting myself in a position where I wasn't even having these things reflecting my fight performance because I was beating my body up. So then I had to mentally, like you said, I had to address the problem, think of the solution. Tyron, you know how to fight. You don't have to, you know, you're not getting the right to passage anymore. You don't have to do a tough man competition. All you got to do is perfect your skills, acknowledge your, your opponent's strengths and weaknesses, address those, go back to your skills once again because that's what really counts, and then be confident, be in good cardiovascular shape, and you're going to be victorious. I didn't have to do all the seven-mile runs three days a week, running up the um, Art Museum Hill with freaking damn training mask on and, you know, sled and all this other crazy stuff. It looks cool, but do I really have to do that? Because all those things are really just to mentally um, get yourself stronger. And I'm like, if you're already mentally strong and you're ready to roll, then do it. So that's how when, you know, I do get – I get fear about stupid stuff now. Like this whole fight, I was scared that I wasn't scared. You know the part that scared me about this fight is that at first opening when he said, you ready, you ready, let's get it on. And when you close that gap and he walking towards you and you walking towards him, I know he want to punch me because I sure in the hell want to punch him. And that awkward motion, it's the slowest, I promise you, it feels like extra slow motion when you walking towards that person that initiate engage. That was the only thing that scared me about this fight. Hmm. And I was like, that's stupid. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so this is obviously an entrepreneurial podcast. It's a podcast about success and business and life. So I love what you just said. But help our listeners connect the dots a little bit. What you just said, imagine I come to you and, and I'm, I'm paying you to be a consultant for my business. Many do, actually. It's funny you say that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, okay. So, so take what you just said and specifically 
apply it to someone who's starting a business and, well, and trying to navigate through all that stuff. Business is, as I talked about a second ago, knowing your opponent. Um, in business, you got to know your competition. You also got to know if it's a niche market. Um, I would call myself a social entrepreneur, which means you're an entrepreneur, you own your business, but you're fulfilling the need. Um, if I go down the street and it's a, you know, one, two, three fitness right here, do you need to put a two, three, four fitness right next door to it? So you got to do your research. Um, also, you got to know your business and you got to have people that are with you that are willing to sprint in their lane, not crossover and get disqualified. If someone's a great computer programmer and they're great at designs and websites, I don't need that person in the front desk doing sales. If someone's a great salesperson and they can sell a shitload of memberships for me, I don't need you back there teaching Carter a kickboxing class when you're really not qualified to do it. I think that same thing applies in sport. I don't need my striking coach teaching me jiu-jitsu. I don't need my jiu-jitsu coach teaching me mental toughness. I don't need my mental toughness coach giving me a game plan for my fight. So I think that's the main thing in business that we all fall apart. We don't know our role. We don't know that collectively we're stronger. Imagine like a, um, a transformer. You know, one part of the transformer is a damn head. One part <laughs> is the arm. One part is the leg. You know, I don't need the arm being the head. I don't need the leg being the arm. So that's the that's main advice I would have. And when you know your market so well, you know your competition so well, and you know your your runners so well, you know, and, and be willing to, I mean, this sounds shitty, but be willing to fire some people when you have to because I held on to some people for way too long. It cost me way too, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars into a gym. Yeah. And I'm a UFC fighter, and I don't have no, you know, flashy cars to show for it. And in the meantime, these employees breaking ground on new homes, got a new car, kids, you know, never. And I haven't made one dollar in my gym, mm-hmm. so I had to change my mindset. That I have four kids, I got a wife, I work my ass off, you know, and I'm in a sport where I have a small window where I can receive lump sums of money in this type of manner for a small period of time. So I can't be catering to everyone else, especially when the loyalty is not there. So get some invested people that if you stepped out, you would be comfortable that they would take on the same passion for your business as you do. Now, they, they might not know the vision. You know, it's hard for you to, you know, get people to understand the vision in the big picture. But if you get people invested where they feel like, you know what, this is my living room. You can't put your feet on the table. And they treat their gym like that or your business or your, you know, car dealership. Those are those are the, the the takeaways. I think martial arts are very parallel with business. I think another one that's huge is, and I love that you said that you were confident after you had prepared. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are just cocky because they're cocky. They yeah. they they have really high views of themselves, but they haven't proven anything. But you went through this really elaborate process of and analyzing your opponent. You know, working on your own strengths. You know, developing yourself mentally, and because of that, you were confident. And it seems like that—that that is a very easily transferable principle into business. That you can be confident that you can beat the beat the competition if you take the the time to do the work to prepare. You know, your product or your service and all the ways that you operate your business to do all that. You can be confident that you're going to kill it. And I also believe you got to be gifted. You know, um, the the bad thing about the era and the world that we live in, we're a very social conscious. Um, environment in, in society right now so we have a lot of access to the way people are living we got snapchat twitter facebook instagram periscope so we get to see the lifestyle of rich and famous every television show 50 to 60 percent of them are reality tv shows so then we're not saying hey i'm going to be a car mechanic because god gifted me with the knowledge to organize or i'm going to be a doctor because 
you know, I have, you know, I can do things meticulous. I can be perfect in this area of medicine. We want to do what we see other people do. So now what we have is we have somebody who's practicing law who should be a school teacher. Hmm. And we got a school teacher who hates her job and can't even stand kids that should be a damn judge or, you know, be something different. So in life, we don't want to do things because God has given us a gift to do it. We don't want to seek out and find what our purpose in life is. We want. We don't want to find out why do we have the ability to communicate so well. Why do I look a certain way? Why do I, you know, why do I multitask so well? We see what other people are doing in life, and we want to measure our success off of that. Hey, Andy, you know, make all this effing money. You know, first form is killing supplement superstore. I'm getting into the supplement business. Your ass might not be built for it. You mm-hmm. might you might break down if someone put in an order for you know ten thousand dollars worth of supplements and cancel and now your whole month is off. You might not be built for that. So I think that's another problem in business. Everyone wants to do it. You know, you got pastors that aren't that shouldn't be monitoring someone's soul and helping them trying to get to heaven or whatever. <laughs> they point. shouldn't be there. You yeah. know what I mean? So I yeah. think finding your purpose in life, you know, and I honestly am one of the blessed ones that I feel like the reason why my name is a chosen one when I fight, I feel like my adversity in life, the things that I've went through, you know, the upbringing I've had, the all the all the freaking obstacles that I've had to overcome, MMA is nothing to me when it comes down to that. It's so me like if I explain to you how much more of an entertainment and business this sport is in sport, it will blow your mind on what I have to do on the marketing aspect, on the, the sponsorship aspect, on the business, the manager aspect, on the fight, the politic aspect. You know, I'm like, damn, when do I supposed to train to be the best athlete in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, I got to do all these other tasks. So that's why I feel like I'm in this sport to show everyone that you can be a guy of integrity. You can be a guy that loves his kids, loves his wife. Not mm-hmm. perfect. Do make mistakes. Have your temptations and things you have to fight through. But you're a human being. And you're at least trying. And then use that platform to catapult me into my book, into movies, into entertainment, to mm-hmm. anal- um, analyzing and being an analyst on a show, and to being broadcast. So fighting ain't even my last thing. I don't even like fighting sometimes. Like some people, oh, I love fighting, I live this shit. So, when I'm not fighting, I'm not thinking about fighting. I'm not watching every UFC that fucking comes on. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. When I'm at home, I'm chilling with my family. I'm chilling with my boys. I'm sleeping or I'm going to the gun range. I'm not, you know, that overly invested person. I don't, you know, and people take this the wrong way. I'm not every. I'm not at every freaking Mizzou wrestling match. I love wrestling when I was in wrestling, but I don't go and watch it every day. You know what I mean? I don't know all the up and coming guys from the University of Missouri. Now that's saying, not, I'm not saying I don't like Missouri. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that. MMA is a part of my life. It's not my life. Mm-hmm. At the end of this chapter, I'm going to move on to something, and I'm going to enjoy the moment that I had then, but I'm going to be moving forward. You know what I mean? So, First, Will. Now, Tyron. Ben, I think you have a real future in guest programming. Oh, you know what? Yeah, we just... We're just oh, these guys are amazing. Where do you find these guys? I paid him so much money to show up here just to be my friend. He, hey, he wrote everything for me, and I'm just repeating it. So, you know, one thing, you, you think of capacity, and I think this is really unique, right? So if I could go behind the scenes. So here, Tyron is a fighter, but he's a businessman, but he's a family man. And didn't I also see, you see, because he just said, he kind of foreshadowed, he's going to do other things. Well, he's not waiting to do other things. He's setting the stage now. Didn't I recently see you in Straight out of Compton? You sure did. T-Bone from the Lynch Mob. 
Wow. So, I mean, it's one of the most popular movies in the world today, right? It killed the box office four weeks in a row as number one has done $150 million, opened up at $56 million. So, um, drinks on me when the residual checks come out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, you you know, back in 1990, I was the only skinny white kid from Hutchinson, Kansas, who was listening to NWA. Hell yeah. They used to call me Easy V. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's funny? Another nickname, Tyler, for Vaughn. During the the riots, during the riots that were in Ferguson, that the young man was shot and killed on my son's birthday. I was in Vegas. Mm. So I was flying back and everybody, I said, you know, I'm going to go to sleep. You know, I'm tired. I got to do some work tomorrow. Some told me to turn on my internet. So I turned on my internet, right? My feet started blowing up because everybody knew where I'm from. And they're like, you okay? You okay? I heard this going on, da, da, da. So like, I'm talking about hundreds of messages, right? So I get out the plane. I'm like, what the freak is going on? So I take my son to the house and I tell my wife, I said, I'm going to drive down there and see what's going on. She said, no, you need to be here with your family. Didn't go. That was the night that the QT got blown up. Mm-hmm. You know, glad I wasn't there because I didn't want to be, you know, in that, in that mess in that environment. Right. But long story short, as the riots and all the adversity and all the controversy and all the, you know, national coverage we were getting on Ferguson was going on with the riots, we were shooting the riots from 1960 on Straight Outta Compton at mm. the same exact time. Mm. So to be a kid from this area that really remember the Rodney King days and when the riots took off and, and, and Watts and all those things, to be shooting those things at the same time, I thought that was a great opportunity for me to use that exposure and that message and use, you know, the story from then and now to go out there and impact the youth. That's when I went on that tour wow. to talk to all those schools in Ferguson. I went to almost every Elementary school, middle school, high school, some I want to, you know, because a message for a freshman is different than a message for, for a senior. You know, I'm not going to talk to a sixth grader about sex and, and drugs, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, uh, a senior about don't put gum in your, your friend's hair. Right. So, you know, I went to a couple of schools a, diff- a couple of different times to give out different messages, but I thought it was... Now, hold, such hold a blessing. A, a, a couple different times, because capacity a lot of times. here. A couple, <laughs> right? He's training to fight. He's running a business. He's in the most popular movie in the United States of America. Not a couple of times. He's given over 40 talks in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's and gone count, back yeah. to his community over 40 times. So when people sit here and say, oh, I ran out of time. I don't have time to do this. I don't have the capacity. I hope you guys are listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I give a speech on... Was it the when you guys are in the damn Virgin Islands or whatever the hell y'all going in, <laughs> in um, Utopiaville? Um, I'm gonna be giving a speech or else I would be there. So I'm doing a speech on when is it time to give back, and just you know the premise of my speech is there's never a good time to give back ever. Mm. You don't always have to give money. You know sometimes money become a crutch. You give somebody money to pay their rent this month, and then they're like, oh, I made it this month. What happens next month? What happens the next six months? What happens when you gave them so much damn money, now you can't pay your rent? Sometimes it's a message. Sometimes it's tough love. Giving back is wherever you feel spirit-led to give, whether it's time, whether it's a listening ear, whether it's advice, whether it's food, money, you know, a damn sweater or whatever. You give because you should, not because you can, not because it's comfortable. Giving should never be comfortable. It's always it's called giving because it's a sacrifice. You know, if you're giving somebody a dollar and you got a million, that didn't really hurt you that bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I do think that my time, you know, obviously is limited and obviously time is money. If you're a businessman, you understand that very well. But I do believe our kids are worth it. I believe that I was that kid that was misled, 
you know, something clicked in me, you know, and I give God a lot of credit for something clicked in me and I changed my life. Um, Had I not changed my life, the same mental toughness I would have had as a wrestler or a fighter, I would have had the same mentality in the street. Mm. I would have been a notorious guy in the street and it would have been the same type type of cookie, you know, in the wrong jar and I would have ended up dead. I would have ended up in jail. You know, my first two years of high school, I didn't even live with my mom. We were evicted from my house. She moved to South St. Louis. I didn't want to go to school at Roosevelt because I wanted to see all my friends. So I stayed with my friend. He had a mom and dad that was divorced and remarried. They had this house paid off. So, you know, it was no adults that lived there. Hmm. It was kids. You know, it was adults, but it was no parental use. No, nobody to tell me to do this. Nobody to tell me to do that. One of the guys that st- stayed there, you know, was involved in the street light. And I asked him, I begged him, I said, I'm tired of being broke. You know, I want in. I want in the street light. I need to make money. I'm tired of being broke. You know what he told me? He said, you're going to go to college. He said, you're going to wrestle. He said, you got a lot of things that are going to go well for you in life, and I'm not going to let you do that. He said, if you wash all my cars, because you're a shitload of cars, <laughs> you take all my clothes to the cleaners, you make sure my shoes are all lined up clean, you know, you cook this butt off. Every time you, every time I cook, you clean up the kitchen, I'll take care of you. And that was our deal. Wow. And every time I see him to this day, he knows how I feel about him. I'm like, man, it's nothing he can't ask me because I would have been in the streets, and I would have been in the streets hard. I had no fear. I had no emotion. When my dad left, my emotional switch went off. You know, so, you know, I can only imagine. That works great in business, by the way. Mm-hmm. I hate emotional businessmen. They get butt hurt all the time. You know, for me, if you tell me, oh, F you, I'm never giving you any money, okay. If I ask you a year later and you give it to me, I'm not going to be mad a year before you said no. Right. You know, I'm not going to try to tax you a little bit more because you said no. So I, I know that's a segue, but, um, you know, I just, I'm really thankful for people like that in my life. I'm thankful, man, I actually, I'm thankful for the grind. I'm thankful for, you know, rough neighborhoods. I'm thankful for, adversity i'm thankful for all those things that made me who i am i wouldn't have it any other way the only thing that i regret is that i never enjoyed the moment i've never walked out to the octagon and enjoyed the lights and mm. shook the hands and enjoyed the people mm. and soaked it in i'm so scared to, to accept that because i'm so used to adversity i put my headphones on i don't hear a sound when i get the vaseline put on my face i don't hear anything Wow. I've never received the, the the fans ever in my career of competing. So when I'm going out there, someone said, Tyron, you got to sit back and enjoy the moment. I said, I'll enjoy this moment when I'm done because <laughs> I don't want the moment to get to my head and make me feel like, you know, I'm something I'm not. So, Well, we're going to cover a couple more topics before we close up uh, for the podcast. But before we do that, guys, I want to take a moment and say, if you want to uh, go and catch the show notes for this very incredible uh, podcast episode, go to the mfceo.com forward slash P19. That's the mfceo.com forward slash P19. We'll have extensive show notes. We'll also have some links to uh, some of uh, Tyron's uh, personal accounts. And while we're on that, we'll, let's just go around and, and ch- what are you, what's your social media uh, c- connection? My social media is T-W-O-O-O-D-L-E-Y. It's three O's. T Woodley with two won't come off of the account. So um, I got to roll with the three O's. So T W O O O D L E Y. Um, that is on Instagram and Twitter. 
Um, the UFC just helped me with my fight fan page. I should have done this a long time ago on Facebook. Um, I maxed out on my followers in 2009 when I did the TV show on MTV, Bully Beatdown. So I completely maxed out, and I just kind of left Facebook alone after that. Mm -hmm. So now I'm back. So check me out, facebook.com slash Tyron Woodley. It's my official um, fan page. And then you, you can find my um, events and things that I have going on on tyronwoodley.com and also my gym at attevolution.com. Nice. Ben? At Continued Fight is Periscope, Twitter, Instagram, and then Ben Newman for Facebook, LinkedIn, and everything else. Right. So obviously Andy is at Andy Frisella for Instagram and Periscope, and I'm at Vaughn Kohler, V-A-U-G-H-N-K-O-H-L-E-R. Tyron, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this a different direction because I, I I had kind of asked before if it was okay to do this, and I'm and I'm gonna do it now. We're gonna go a little deeper, um, a, a potentially sensitive subject. Well, actually, a sensitive subject. So I lived uh, at least five or six years of my life in the Chicago area, and while I was there, uh, I knew of a of an inner city church that was pretty unusual in that it was pretty racially integrated. A mm -hmm. lot of a lot of black, a lot of white, and they would do something during a certain period of, of the year they'd have what's called the fudge ripple sunday okay. and and basically it was this attempt at racial reconciliation and essentially uh they would all get together in the fellowship hall the black people would very frankly share all of their gripes with the white people That's the funny. white people would then get up and share <laughs> all of their gripes with the white people and and then when they were done they would have fudge ripple sundays and they would, of course, ever always do it on Sunday. And the local media was just fascinated by this because it was so effective. It was so effective, just like getting the, you know, getting the gripes out and 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 getting closer to one another. So I guess my question to you is, what's your take? How do we, how do we make things better? How do we get along better? I think we need some damn fudge ripple Sundays in St. Louis. You know, I think. Um, that's a phenomenal one. I'm at the YouTube now because I've never heard of that, and that's mm. a brilliant idea. For the record, um, I think I think it's LaSalle Street Church. Okay. I think that's the name of the church, but I'm, look it up. I'm not totally sure. You know, I think that's exactly what needs to happen. I think, you know, everyone can say it's this person's fault, this person's fault, and this person's fault, and the finger's always out. The finger's never here. You know, it's never pointing at yourself. So I think some personal responsibility um, in our community needs to be taken upon law enforcement as well as the citizens. Citizens, um, in my opinion, don't respect law enforcement. They don't trust them. Um, no one ever, you know, like we do it subconsciously. My son's, my four-year-old, he'll tear your ass up if you babysit him. He <laughs> is the home alone kid. But if you tell him, oh, I'm going to call Officer John, and he's like, oh, he get all straight. But it's not, hey, Officer John is here. He's your friend. He's here to protect and serve. If mm -hmm. you get in trouble, this is who you're looking for. It's always a negative conversation. Hey, police behind you. Don't speed. The police behind you. Put on your seatbelt. You know, don't don't turn that corner. They're over. You know what I mean? So it's like you already have this pre preconceived notion that the law enforcement are here to harass you. And, you know, you know, and, and it has been true in my days at Ferguson where I did see a lot of harassment. I did see some of my friends get beat up and I did see, you know, some racial profiling and pulled over, you know, for things that I shouldn't. But at the end of the day, I've seen some of my friends fulfill those stereotypes that the, the law enforcement do stereotype. And I have myself fulfilled those stereotypes in the past. So when we stop pointing the finger and we start looking at mirrors Instead of pointing fingers, I think our problem and our solution changes quite a bit. 
the time and energy we take, just like we talk about, you know, getting stuff done and uh, reframing. The reason why I don't think so hard on problems and find solutions quick, I don't have time to. The time I sit and complain about it, you know, I always use the house as an example. If my house is really dirty, for me to look around, it looks so overwhelming to clean, right? So what I do, one, I never let it get dirty because I never want to get to that point. Two, if it did happen to get dirty, then instead of thinking about it, I just start cleaning it immediately. Before you know it, you're fourth through, you're halfway through, you're tired, but then you see you only got halfway to go, you keep going, and it's a refresher that is done. You can take the same time just looking at it, like, oh, man, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Hey, I need some people to help me. That's what we need to do with our problem solving. So the time that we take blaming people and not accepting personal responsibility and not actually making an impact. The only thing right now, I think, in our community, you know, whether it's race, whether it's law enforcement versus citizens, whether it's, you know, just society in general, is that that personal responsibility is not being accepted. That's the first initial step. That's my message to kids. That's It's not, hey, the police officers are racist. They hate African-Americans. They don't do nothing. They'll shoot you. That is the silliest stuff ever. I've seen my friends completely bitch slapped to oblivion by a police officer. You know the color he was? He was black. And he said, I'm not your brother. What do you think? You're you going to go cry to your mom? It's not a black and white issue. You mean the police officer police was black? The police officer was yeah. black, yes. So it's it's not a race issue. It's not even, you know, a police officer, law enforcement issue. It's a respect issue, and it's a personal responsibility issue. And I think that's the greatest message we can teach to our kids is to be, one, the best citizen you can be, you know, to do. Like, my sons hate when I try to make them get straight A's in school. Why do I have to get straight A's? Why do I got to be perfect? I said, I didn't say you have to be perfect, but you just so happen to be capable to make an A. And if you weren't, I wouldn't try to push you to make A, but because you showed me you could in the first quarter and the second quarter, and then the third quarter you got a B or a C, well, damn, you should have never showed me. Now I know you can make an A, so now I'm going to get your tutor. Now we're going to stop playing video games. Now we're going to take that phone until Friday, and you got the A back on the fourth quarter. So I think as humans, we have to try to achieve this level of perfection that we know we'll never get, but every day we got to still try. You know, you, you, you mess up. You make a mistake, you can sit there and let the dirt fall on your head and be buried alive, or you can shake it off and step it up. So I think that's the missing component. The The, the school district is not meant to raise your kid. It's a reinforcement. They're educators. They're not parents. When you go to a school and you don't know, your kids don't know their own damn name, I got a problem. When they're writing their nickname as their name on a piece of paper, that's the issue. You know what I mean? When I see a kid, my wife was an educator in University City, and she had one kid that never came to school on Wednesday. And she finally asked this kid, why don't you ever school on Wednesday? Oh, because Tuesday is $2 Tuesday. And my mom said, I don't have to go to school on Wednesday. I can hang out with her. Hmm. What are we teaching our kids? We're letting, we're letting television educate them and raise them. We're letting social media and if we don't raise them, the streets definitely will. And, you know, that, I don't think that's what we want. So personal responsibility and respect, that's very simple principles, very easy to do. Those those changes can happen immediately. And then the Fudge Ripple Sunday is not a bad idea. Hmm. Incredible thoughts. Um, boy, I could talk about this for, or at least listen to you, for, for quite a bit longer. Um, 
but I'm going to turn it over to Ben because Ben, you've worked with Tyron. Um, you, you have a professional relationship that has, I think, you know, developed into a personal relationship and you guys are friends. So I, I'm going to ask you kind of a tough question. If you had to identify one thing that you are inspired by the life of Tyron Woodley and what you think is the overarching lesson of his life as applicable to both, you know, success in all of life, but also success in business, what would it be? So I, I guess the one word would be mindset, but you know, it's hard for me to have short answers. So I'll say mindset and then we're gonna have some subsets. It's his mindset that stems to everything you've already heard him say. It's the personal responsibility. It's the capacity. It's work ethic, passion for life. And what I'd really love to know, because those are the things that inspire me about you, Tyron, and you know, in our conversations, they push me, they motivate me to think differently for my life. How have those things applied for you in business as well? You know, we've talked a lot about athletics, but in business as well, because I love how you literally transition all of those things, that mental toughness into everything that you do. I'm going to use a really, really weird um, uh, metaphor. Um, a lot of people... You, you won't catch them with both hands out. And, and that's reference towards giving. Because these two hands are always behind their butt, covering their own butt. So when you're willing to give because you're not afraid to be transparent, you're not afraid to say, hey, you know what? I forgot you told me that, you know, you needed this shipment out on this day. I effed up. I made that mistake. We're always looking for somebody else, a way to get out of something. So I think... In business, it's very respectable when you showcase personal responsibility. I'm less likely to fire an employee that openly confronts an issue and something they did wrong and in the future immediately try to make that situation better than the person that try to hide it, disguise it, and it comes up later and I find out that they did this and they, you know, try to sweep it underneath the rug. So that's, you know, personal responsibility and respect falls in the same thing because if you respect me as a business owner and you respect that I'm putting my heart, soul, tons of fight money, energy into making this successful, then you will respect me enough not to lie to me. You know, and, and people that have lied to me, you know, I, I have no respect for you. So I think those those things go very great in business. I love it. Okay, so final thing before we sign off. You are the fighter right now. That's, that's, that's the main, you know, that's the main occupation right now. Someday you might be a coach. So what I want you to do is I want you to just the next couple minutes, I want you to speak directly to the listener out there who is beaten up. They've gone multiple rounds. They're getting just destroyed by life. They feel like they can't overcome the odds. Could be because of their business. Could be because they have, you know, terrible family life. Who knows? But they are just, they're just struggling to keep their, their hands up and to press on. Give them a pep talk. The person that's out there listening, whoever you are, whatever you do, whatever you don't do, there's no individual in life that's undefeated in, fight, in fights of life. Uh, one thing that you have to realize is that you always have the ability to get up, as my man Big Newman said, uh, when you face life adversity. Um, excuses are embarrassing. They are like buttholes. Everybody has one and they all stink. If you want to lay down there at the bottom, 
You want to feel sorry for yourself. And you want to blame everybody else for you not being successful. You will forever be there. And if you have kids, not only were you choosing to do that to yourself, you're also teaching your children. You're teaching anybody who surrounds themselves around you that that's okay to be mediocre, to have excuses, and not take the risks. Okay? So now that we got the worst, worst case scenario out of the way, the good thing is it's only uphill. It's only light at the end of the tunnel. Every choice that you make in life is important, but the most important choice you can make in life is to take the damn risk. Faith is blind. If you can see through the glass and you can see the million dollars on the other side, it will be no bone in your body that won't start sprinting towards that glass. But when you got a tenant and it's blacked out and you can't see how close you are, you can't see how many years it's going to take there and you can't see if it's going to work out at the end. That special something in your body, I don't know if you guys are faith driven or if you believe in energies and universe, but faith is things that you can't un- that you cannot see. When you take the risk to step out on faith, that is the most liberating, free experience you can have in your life, and that is a beginning to being successful. When I was sleeping on the couch at 26 years old, full-time damn job as a wrestling coach in my mother's kitchen, and my son didn't think he had a house, I freaking took a leap of faith. I couldn't afford to be a fighter. I took out student loans just to pay for gas money to travel to train. I took a leap of faith. And today, my family are experiencing the fruits of our labor. We only just getting started. We're going to go all the way to the top. And my future or my the best is yet to come. My latter will be greater than my past. So you have to take the risk. Sometimes when you're on a brink of a breakthrough, it feels like you're on a brink of a breakdown. The devil don't waste no time. If you are being challenged or if you're seeing adversity, nobody's going to waste time making you feel as if you can't go forward if it's not rainbow at the end of the tunnel. Fight through it. Push through it. Beat adversity. Pass the test the first time because the next time it's going to be harder. Pass the test of temptation, of fear, of self-doubt, of self-worth, insecurities, slowfulness, laziness in business, all those tests that you come in life, pass them with flying colors and elevate yourself and get promoted and go to the next level and keep rolling. That's what I got to say. Tyron, thank you so much for joining us. Ben, thanks for coming. Always great to be here. Everybody, thanks for listening to the MF CEO Project. Keep killing it. Boom.